Life is like spaghetti. Now, if I had known that was going to be such a popular title, I would name all my sermons after food. So be ready for that coming in the future. But life is like spaghetti because if you try to pull one noodle out of your spaghetti, you will find that it touches every single other noodle, right? As you read God's Word and you pay attention to it and to your heart, you will soon find that what you learn in one passage applies to every area of your life. Like life Applying the Bible is like spaghetti. Now last week, we learned to reduce ourselves to greatness. We learned to make ourselves small in our own eyes. And Jesus, in teaching this, quickly then applies this idea to be small in our eyes to living in a lot of different areas in our life. And one such way that he does that is he wants us to live so that we do not cause others to stumble. You see, after Matthew 18, verse 6, the rest of Matthew 18, Jesus spaghettis in an exploration of what it means to reduce yourself to greatness. And tonight we will see at least three important applications in my quest to be small in my own eyes, which is the same thing as saying to be great in God's kingdom. We need, number one, to ruthlessly purge our own sin. We need, number two, to rejoice over relationships. And we need, number three, to restore, never to reject. Now, we have to remember before we get started that greatness, the greatness we're talking about, is the opposite in many cases of greatness in the world's eyes. Now, don't get me wrong. There have been a lot of Christians who are great in the world's eyes. But I'm not talking about them. I'm talking to us. And sad to say, we, nobody here that I know of, is great in the world's eyes and Not only that, but to be great in the world's eyes would be just such a burden. I mean, could you imagine not being able to go into a restaurant with everybody, without everybody trying to get your autograph? No thanks. Greatness, as measured by God, is closeness to Him. Remember we talked about last week sitting in Jesus' lap, as it were? You're not going to be willing to sit in His lap. You're not going to be willing to do what it takes to get close to Him if you don't make yourself small in your own eyes. To become childlike. To deny yourself. To put yourself to death in terms of looking out for number one. When you grow smaller and smaller in your own eyes, when you in fact do as I said last week, reduce yourself to greatness, you will become closer and closer to Jesus. Does that scare you? Let's be honest here for a second. Does that frighten you? Can you only look in your heart and see your own sin? And like Peter, you say, away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Does that scare you 
the idea of being close to Jesus? If it does, take your eyes off yourself and look to Jesus because He is the one who will wrap His arms around you no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. Reduce yourself to greatness. Now you remember we spent some time talking about the quote and this understanding of childlikeness from Dallas Willard. When he said, self-denial or being dead to self is the condition where the mere fact that I do not get what I want does not surprise me. It doesn't offend me. And it certainly has no control over me. Does that sound like the kind of life you would like to live? Oh my goodness. Wouldn't it be great not to be surprised when you don't get your own way? <laughs> Does anybody live a life like that where you don't get your own way all the time? <laughs> where you're not offended because someone cut you off? Where people have no control over you because you're always looking out for number one? This is a great description of one who is small in his own eyes. And because we human beings find it so hard not to look out for number one, we need to remind ourselves, don't be surprised, don't be offended, don't be controlled by our passions when we don't get our way. Which happens a whole lot more often than you and I would like to admit. So reduce yourself to greatness in the king's eyes. Now, Jesus spaghettis a bit because he knows my deceitful heart and he helps me to apply this lesson to various areas of our lives. And he begins by touching you and me where it hurts the most. He says, ruthlessly purge your sin. Let's look at what he says in verse 7. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. It is necessary that temptations come, but woe, sadness, to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Now again, last week, Jesus specified how we are to reduce ourselves to greatness by going out of our way to avoid causing a child of God to sin. In fact, Jesus was very clear. He was saying it would be better for you to die a scary horrifying death than to make someone else stumble. Now, Jesus picks this thread and He pulls it a little further. You should not only avoid causing other people to sin, but you ought to be willing to enter life crippled so as not to be guilty of sin yourself. In other words, don't cause yourself temptation. According to Jesus, you and I should be happy of the exchange between losing a hand or losing an eye rather than losing your soul in hell. Now I have a question. How many here believe 
that your hand or your eye causes you to sin. Well, if you put it that way, of course not. Your hand or your foot doesn't cause you to sin. It is the instrument of sin. It's what you use to sin. But what causes us to sin is our own sinful heart. Clearly, Jesus here makes the point that you and I should be willing to go to any extent to ruthlessly purge our hearts of sin. If you had gangrene in your right hand or your right foot and you went to the doctor and the doctor said, I need to cut it off, you'd say, take it. Take however much you want so I can live. The point is that you don't want that gangrene to get up into your vitals and kill you in a most horrific way possible. The same is true of your sin. Be willing to cut it off. If your internet connection is a means of sin in your life, turn it off. If your iPad is a means of sin and you cannot muster the courage to fight it, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life into life without an iPad, without interconnection, than to burn in hell away from the only source of life possible. If a relationship you have is built on nothing less than gossip, lust, and unrighteousness, end it. It is better for people to laugh at you and mock you than to enter eternity in not a relationship with God. Your toys, my toys, my acquaintances, my self-esteem have made us too big for our britches. And you and I have a serious and nearly ubiquitous problem that can be only cured by the Holy Spirit when you allow Him to enable you to reduce yourself to greatness. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus fits Himself into this conversation. 1 John 2.1, Jesus' best friend John says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But, if anyone does sin, hint, hint, everybody does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Do you know that you can live your life right now, right where you are, avoiding sin? Do you know that you can wake up tomorrow morning and pray, Lord, I intend not to sin? And when you fall to temptation, which certainly you will, there is no constraint making you sin. In fact, Paul gives us one of the best, clearest, most practical promises in the entire Bible. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. The good news is that you can escape temptation. And often it is as simple, mind you, I didn't say easy, but simple, as simple as recognizing the out 
that God gave you in that moment. And you will fail. And when you fail, the good news is still the good news. Jesus has got your back. He already died for that sin, and all you need to do is claim it. And when you say no, my friends, it's like working out. It's like going on a run. It's like doing anything you want to do well. You've got to practice. And so when you are faced with the temptation and you say no to that temptation, you are exercising your spiritual muscle. And it will be stronger so that you can fight the next temptation. But you will not win this fight or any other until you see Christ as better than whatever temporary, deceitful, unfulfilling happiness is being offered to you by your temptation. Again, Dallas Willard helps us. We need to have a vision. We need to have a picture of what our lives will look like having defeated or at least fought a particular sin. So, what does this mean? You want to fight internet pornography, for example. And so you need to have a vision of what your life would look like having defeated this sin. So you picture it. You think about the next time you're going to be on the internet. And you think, I'm going to win this time. I'm going to fight and I'm going to win. I am going to ruthlessly purge this sin from my life. And you think it through when temptation comes. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, one idea is to simply turn off the internet. Another idea is to go in front of somebody and do your internet searching in front of them. You need to have a vision. You need to have an idea of what this will look like. And then you must have the intention. In other words, oh, I want to fight the sin of gossip. But you really never intend to win. You never really intend to stop it. You never really decide that you're going to ruthlessly purge this sin. Look, don't waste your time. If you're not intending to fight, don't say that you are. But then you have to have the means. You have to have a plan and a way of attack. And the way of attack that you do are the promises of God. Now, I consider it my job to help you guys have resources in your fights. And the, the first one, this book is called The Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. This is, this is not a book for the light at heart. This gets into some good Christian philosophy, but this is where I got this idea of vision, intent, and means. And he does a good, I, good job of describing what a human animal is on the inside so that you can understand yourself and therefore fight. The second one, we talked about intent, is a book that I'm going through with my boys right now, and we are going as a staff through this book. This one is called The Discipline of Grace by Jerry Bridges. And this is a much easier book to understand. It, it's, it's not short, uh, but it's a book that's within the grasp of every single person in this room if you want to actually read it. And what this book will teach you is it will teach you what is God's part in this equation of fighting sin 
And what is your part in this equation of fighting sin? By the way, the first person who sees me tonight, I will give this copy to them. The next book, again, my job is to provide resources for you. This happens to be my notebook, my, my study book, not my actual copy. One of you probably has my actual copy. I don't know where it is. But this one is called Battling Unbelief. And this is, the, the book is written by John Piper. And this is his thesis. Trust the promises of God for you in Christ. Now that's not his words, those are my words. But that's what this is. And he gives you several promises, many promises for each of the key areas that we struggle in fighting temptation. So, for example, how many have ever struggled with fear? Has anybody ever been afraid? Here's some Bible verses to help you with that. How many have you ever struggled with covetousness and, and wanting things more than you should want them. Notice I'm raising my hand. Here are some promises for you to fight with. How many have ever struggled with lust? How many have ever struggled with bitterness or impatience? Okay, enough of this. We're done with that. But I would consider myself having failed you if I didn't give you a couple of those promises myself. Do you want some good news? Do you want to hear some good news so that you can be encouraged tonight when you're driving home and you're tempted to be impatient? Here's one. 2 Corinthians 9.8 God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That is a promise, guys. That is something you can take to the bank. Amen? Amen. There is no struggle that you face that this promise won't reach. This is John Piper's favorite promise. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I'm tempted to preach on that passage, but I'm not. And here is my favorite. Here is my favorite promise in the entire Bible. Romans 8.32. Oh my goodness. I love this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Everything you need to be a man or woman of God, God has made available to you. Trust the promises of God for you in Christ. Go to God's Word. Find a promise. And then start thinking about it. Mull it over in your head so that you can be one who trusts the promises of God for you in Christ. Whew. Did you get all that? That was a lot. Okay. Ruthlessly purge sin in your life. Let's move on to verse 10. Verse 10. Jesus says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. No, I'm not going to preach on guardian angels tonight, although that would be intensely interesting. What do you think? 
If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine who never went astray. So it is not the, so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If you are to ruthlessly purge sin in your life, one of the most important areas you and I are going to need to begin is to value relationships more than things. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one, but how many of you have had a relationship with somebody and your whole intention was just to get something out of that person? Never mind. I don't want to say that we'll talk about lying next week. But Jesus here makes the case that it is wise to go on an all-out search for something so valuable as a lost sheep. And if God is willing to expend that much effort and that much time to search for a sheep, you and I ought to be willing to expend our energy and our time and even our money to find lost people. Remember this. People are always an end. Never a means. And things are always a means. Never an end. Human beings are always what you and I ought to strive to protect and uphold and enable and equip. In short, human beings are the people, are the things we are to love. Whereas things should be used in our effort to love people. Oh my goodness, do we get this backwards. Oh my goodness. Hey, listen, I'm not pointing any more fingers at anybody else than I'm pointing at myself, okay? I stumble on this one as well. But we would do well to remember that people are always an end. They are always what we should be striving to uphold, to protect, to equip, to enable and the things that God blesses us with, those are the tools. Those are the means. Those are the things we use so that people are blessed. Now, okay, that's all theoretical. Let's get down to brass tacks. You know what? It's as easy as, dude, let's get together and I'll buy you some coffee. How much does the most expensive coffee at Costco, or not Costco, geez, Starbucks cost? Yeah, it, it costs a whole lot, right? Today, I got a venti Americano with vanilla, and I get that every time I get one of my free Starbucks, you know? <laughs> That's right. But normally, I'll take a grande blonde, please. You know, my wife's okay with me going to Starbucks and picking up blondes. <laughs> but we get this so backwards, and we're not willing to spend five bucks to go buy coffee with someone. Oh my goodness, find somebody who is stressed out and who just needs a cup of coffee. Find someone who needs, you know, a burrito and buy them lunch. And you are blessing them will find that you are blessed beyond your imagination. Now, based upon this passage, what I see is that God the Father gets 
a little bent out of shape when people are dissing his people. You know, I make it a habit never to offend a wife who has a husband who's bigger than me. <laughs> it's just not good. I like my nose, you know, I don't want to get busted. My friends, God is not someone to be trifled with. Amen. Don't go offending his bride or his children. Bad idea. So how are you going to prepare your hearts to be the kind of person who's not dissing God's children and wife? Reduce yourself to greatness. The good news is that Jesus came on a rescue mission to rescue His lost sheep. Me and you. To rescue His lost family. And you can join with Him as His choice and favorite assistant resulting in your joy and His glory and the growth of His kingdom. Or you can be cast aside as a tool that doesn't work. Ask the Holy Spirit to love others through you so that you can be that tool that expands His kingdom. Let's go to the last part of our passage. Restore, never reject. Verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, that will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, Next time, which is actually in two weeks, next time we come back to this passage, we're going to pick up right here in verse 15. But I'm including it tonight for one very important reason. How many have ever had to go to somebody and admit you were wrong? I'm sorry. I messed up. How many of you were just like, woohoo, this is awesome, let's go and apologize? Uh, none of us. It hurts our egos to eat humble pie, no? My friends, the only way you will ever do it, the only way you will ever put yourself into the kind of position where you're able to go to someone and say, look, I'm, I offended you, I'm sorry, it was my fault is if you take your eyes off yourself and look to Jesus. Only when you make yourself small in your own eyes will you be able to taste that humble pie and find not so much that it's sweet, but that it's good for you. And we're going to come back to this passage next Sunday, or two Sundays, but this is so important. And I was thinking of my, to myself, how do I think about, because if I'm tying this to childlikeness, which I think is what Matthew is doing here, if I tie it to childlikeness, how is it like a child? Have you ever, those of us who have children, have you ever done something unfair to your child? 
you assumed a motive that they had and you started to yell at them or started to give them some sort of consequence and then you find out that wasn't what they were thinking at all. Or have you ever blamed them for something and you found out later? (laughs) I have found, I've had numerous opportunities to find that when I go to my child and I say, son, I was wrong, I'm sorry, they are usually very quick to forgive. Now, last week we talked about the difference between childishness and childlikeness. My kids are not any more perfect than yours are. But it is amazing that when we have small egos and large hearts, how much grace there is in the room. So, my friends, reduce yourself to greatness. Now, spaghetti is one of those things that at the same time is a sign of the greatness of mankind. Or actually, I should say mom-kind. But you understand. And it is a sign of a lot that is wrong in this world. Spaghetti, you know, it's simple, it's nourishing, and it's filling in a meal that takes almost no time. Spaghetti is great, especially if you've got a lot of boys. And you know what? You can go to God's Word for a quick bite when you're in the waiting room at a doctor's office or you're standing in line at the grocery store and all there is are these magazines that you really don't want to look at. Take out, don't let your smartphone make you stupid, and look up some verses. Get yourself an app that will help you do this. Spend your time, even these little tiny bits of God's Word. But who wants to live on fast food? Who wants to live on spaghetti? Because spaghetti is also a sign of a lot that is wrong in the world. Because every area in your life and in mine that is not surrendered to the Word of God touches every other area in your life, including the people that you live with. And believe me, as good as you think you are at, smoke, at spreading smoke, they see your sin. They smell your stink. And so, reason through Scripture. Meditate on Scripture. Find a way to get Scripture in your life consistently and well. Because if you don't, you will allow your heart to continue to see itself as more important than others. If you refuse to make yourself small in your eyes, then even in the areas that you're relatively strong in, you'll become weak. You'll become like the parent of a toddler, exhausted. Ask me, I know. You see, Matthew here records Jesus' teaching concerning several areas in our life and where you and I must reduce ourselves in our own eyes is something for you to decide. It's something for between you and the Holy Spirit. But Jesus clearly gives you a couple of main areas where many of us stumble. And He says, look, get this right and I will help you. That, my friends, is when you will glorify God, you will rejoice in yourself, and you will show others around you the glory of His promises. That, my friends, 
is the greatness you will reduce yourself to. Let's pray. Lord Almighty, once again we come to you because we are in desperate need of the Holy Spirit to come and live in and through us so that we will be the men and women of God you have created us to be. And Lord, once again, we hear the end of a sermon and we realize that we cannot do this of our own strength. And so I ask that you would enable us to see where your Holy Spirit is moving so that we can join you there. Bless us, Jesus, this week so that we will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.